Hello, everyone. We are now live on Space Talk. First off, Happy New Year. If I haven't had a chance already to wish you a Happy New Year,、um, I'm so excited to be in year 2022 with so many incredible things happening in the space industry.、Um, now, this episode is going to be a little bit different than、um, our January. Events. So specifically, this one is going to be looking at week one of all space events that are happening, both in the night sky,、um, also in space history. We have deep sky objects, and of course, your astronomy word of the week. If you haven't listened already, I did do a welcome to 2022 episode. So I spoke about what we have to look forward to for the year in its entirety. So if you want to listen to that one, just rewind a little bit to our about four episodes ago, and you can catch that one. So I'm super excited to be kicking off this year. I don't know about you guys, but、um, I am so amped up, especially when I put together that episode of things that are happening this year in space, because there is so much stuff. And when it comes to astronomy, there happens to be quite a lot of.、Um, May I say, like serendipitous alignments. So basically, there's a lot of things that are in peak visibility, and if you want to receive any of this in your inbox, I did just make an infographic for the year,、um, and I sent it out to my email subs. So if you already received those, awesome! I hope you enjoy it. If you haven't received it yet and you would like to receive that in your inbox, I just launched my brand new website, astrathens.com. I already had one before of astrothens.com, but I totally revamped the whole site, so you can head there、um, and you can sign up for my email、um, list for the incoming transmission every week on that website on astrothens.com. So、uh, let's go ahead and just jump in with、um, all the things that we have to look forward to for this week in space, starting with astronomy word of the week. Now I chose a term this week. And I realize that's because we talk quite a lot about this term, but we don't actually go over what exactly it means. And that term is sky chart. A sky chart.、Um, if any of you have already subscribed to my my incoming、uh, email transmission, you would have already known what sky chart is. You probably receive them on a weekly basis. It's basically a diagram showing the celestial sphere, so the things that are. In space, the things that、um, we're able to see from Earth during certain times of the year and a location. So, depending on what time of the year it is, and depending on where you are on the entire globe, such as the North or South hemispheres, such as Texas or New York, and then it demonstrates what's visible in that night sky for that date. Uh, such as constellations, planets, deep sky objects, etc. It also shows the、uh, ecliptic plane. It also shows the equator,、um, and it's a few different things you could actually add on. Where I usually will generate my sky charts is on Sky and Telescope's website. So I love Sky and Telescope. I actually just subscribed to their、um, their magazine. So I will be getting that in the mail soon, which I'm really excited about. But if you just go to skyandtelescope.org/slash/interactive-skychart, they have、um, a generator on there. Now you can do this yourself, or I do create, I do generate these、um, for my transmission members in conjoined with、uh, specific. 
items that you might want to use when stargazing. So I make the astronomer shopping list that pair perfectly with whatever your sky chart is during certain times of month. I'll usually send out two per month. Um, so if you wanted to do that, you can head to uh, patreon.com slash astroathens. But either way, you could always just make this on your own as well, which is really, really great. If you want any tips also on what to use when stargazing, just shoot me a message or email. Um, I, I answer relatively quickly, but um, I'd love to hear from you. So that is the first term, which is sky chart. Now moving into our must-see celestial events. We've got four planets that I'm going to talk about, as well as a deep sky object, and then the moon phase. So if you were like me and you went on a camping trip over New Year's, in fact, um, it was so cold. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a really good temperature when I arrived, except it was total overcast. And I mean, like thick, thick clouds, like there was no breaking up in the clouds in the sky for me. So went camping to a certified deep sky location and didn't get to see any um, any stars, nothing. Um, and if you can't tell already, I did catch a cold, so my voice is a little bit raspy today. <laughs> um, but that's okay because I still had a blast and I'm hoping that in the near future, we'll be able to um, catch some more deep sky objects or catch just catch some celestial events. Point is why I mentioned that is it happened to be a new moon. And we're moving out of the new moon phase into a crescent moon, a very thin crescent moon. And this is a really good time to watch for deep sky objects, to look for the Milky Way, um, or to even catch meteor showers, um, which all of which uh, happened actually within the first few days of the month. So I am doing this podcast just a little bit late. Again, um, I've been fighting this cold, so I uh, had to postpone it. But um there was the Quadratids meteor shower in the beginning of the month, but that is of the past now. So let's look forward. On January 5th, the thin crescent moon is going to be passing just south of Jupiter. It's actually about four degrees south of Jupiter at about 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you're a fan of Jupiter, the usually the, the brightest planet in the night sky, um, it, right up there with Venus, uh, then you're going to want to probably catch this. It's going to be really beautiful. Or if you just aren't looking for it, you happen to be out at night at, at around 7 p.m. and the sky is clear, that's going to be a really beautiful uh, sight to see. Then on January 7th, the moon now passes four degrees south of Neptune. Now this is going to be really early in the morning. It's about 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So it'll be in the Aquarius constellation. So you're going to want to try and locate that constellation first, be able to see the moon. It's probably going to be pretty easy, I would say, because if you're up at that time, uh, the moon, the crescent moon, even though it's not that luminous because it's so thin, so so little of its surface area is reflecting the sunlight, uh, you know, you'll still be able to catch that. Uh, and if you have binoculars, you'll be able to see it with Neptune, which should be really cool. Then same date on January 7th, Mercury reaches greatest eastern elongation at about 19 degrees at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and that's in the Sagittarius constellation. Now, this is when Mercury reaches a point in its orbit where you're going to be able to see it with quite, uh, quite good visibility. I would say. Um, it's a really, really uh, good time to not only witness the planet, but catch it for 
the entire night and then moving into the next couple of days. So we're going to be able to have a really good view of Mercury uh, for most of this week. So if you want to catch Mercury, go ahead and start on January 7th, which is when Mercury reaches greatest eastern elongation. Then for our last planetary um, musty celestial event is going to be on January 8th. Venus is an inferior conjunction. This is at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in the constellation Sagittarius. Now, this should be really, again, similar to Mercury reaching greatest elongation. Venus being an inferior conjunction at about 8 p.m. in the constellation Sagittarius, you're going to be able to see it at a really bright magnitude. It's going to be very luminous and it's going to be very prominent in the night sky. So this is earlier in the night. So if you do your stargazing a little bit later, um, you'll still be able to catch the planet, but it's going to slowly start to move from your eastern horizon over to your western horizon. Uh, but again, if you want to do it a little bit earlier and catch it when it's really, really luminous, go ahead and do that at about 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It'll be in the constellation Sagittarius. We're going to do a really quick music break, and then we're going to get into this week's deep sky object. Let's jump back into it. So we've got a really luminous deep sky object visible this week, starting on January 2nd. It's M41. It also has the catalog name of NGC 2287. It's an open star cluster in Canis Major. So you're going to want to look for it. So if you don't know where Canis Major is, you're going to want to look for it, uh, depending on where you are in the northern or southern hemisphere, either looking north or south horizon. Now let's give a little bit of a breakdown of just how bright it is. And then if you're in the northern hemisphere, I'll do that first. So its best visibility right now is from the southern hemisphere, but you can see it from the northern hemisphere as well. So that's the northern half of the globe north of the equator. The only thing is you can't see it any further north of 49 degrees latitude. So if you don't know where you're located on the globe, um, I use a really great website to uh, basically figure out where the longitude and latitude is of certain locations. This is what I'm generating sky charts. Uh, it's called geodatos.net slash en slash coordinates, or you could just head to geodatos.net and that should be able to come up. You can type in your city and your country and you'll be able to find out what your longitude and latitude is. So if you are further north of 49 degrees latitude, you won't be able to see this object. But if you are 
within that range, then awesome. This is going to be a magnitude of 4.5. So you for sure are going to be able to see it with binoculars or a telescope. It's going to be a little bit too dim to see with the unaided eye. Uh, you, Depending on how dark of a sky you go to, you may be able to catch a very slight glimpse of it with the naked eye, but I recommend using binoculars or a telescope. If you're in the Northern Hemisphere, it's going to start rising at about 9.22 p.m. Eastern Time, and it's going to be located just about 18 degrees above your southeastern horizon. So this is, you know, pretty okay if you want to view it at that time, but if you can stay up late, wait until it reaches its highest point at about 12.32 a.m., where it reaches 35 degrees above your southern horizon. So... Still not that high up. 35 degrees is, you know, can still be obstructed by trees or buildings. But if you're able to get to an area where you can have a pretty clear horizon, where you don't have any obstructed views or any any objects in the way, make that happen. You'll definitely be able to catch it. So if you're in the southern hemisphere, it's going to start rising at about 10.06 p.m. Uh, so this is once it starts to rise at about 10 p.m., it's already going to be pretty high in the sky. It's going to be about 41 degrees above your eastern horizon. 41 degrees. So that's already higher than the highest point of the northern hemisphere. So if you're in the southern hemisphere, awesome for you because you're going to be able to see this object. If you want to just wait till it reaches its highest point of 71 degrees above your northern horizon, that's going to be at about 1.41 a.m. So again, staying up late typically will help benefit your uh, viewing, will help benefit what objects you can see uh, longer as well. And it's going to be visible throughout the whole night until dawn, so which is going to be about 524 a.m. And once obviously dawn starts to happen, you're not going to be able to see the object anymore because the sky will be too light. So I hope that you can go and catch that object. Let's move into our moon phase of the week. I mentioned it earlier, um, but we are moving out of the new moon phase, which was a total moon phase on January 2nd at 1.33 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That was when it reached new moon phase. By today, January 4th, it's already moving into a thin crescent. So if you go out, you might be able to start to see the moon uh, probably tonight. I would say, yeah, tonight and then into tomorrow, you should start to really notice that very, very thin, slim crescent moon. Let's move into space history now. So we've got four events of space history for this week, and I'm hoping to add a little bit more to my space history Um it's pretty international right now and not just US-based, but I want to actually expand it a little bit more. I want to start including more rocket launches. Right now it's more so astronomy stuff, uh, but I'm going to do a little bit more rocket launches. Um, I'm going to actually do a real quick music break. Uh, just sip some water real quick. If you hadn't heard before, I did catch a minor cold whilst going stargazing. So yeah, just feel, excuse me, for one minute, let's do a quick music break.
All right, let's jump back into it. So space history for this week. On January 1st in 1801, Giuseppe Piazzi discovered the first asteroid known as One Ceres. If you haven't already looked at Ceres, it is a very large asteroid, very spherical as well. It looks quite similar to the moon, very, very cratered, really interesting uh, celestial body here. So definitely go check that out. That was discovered on January 1st in 1801. Then on January 3rd in 1888, the first observation was made by the 36-inch refractor telescope at the Lick Observatory. Moving into January 4th in 1781, Charles Messier discovered M80, which is the globular cluster in Scorpius. We've talked about M80 quite a lot on this podcast before, and that's because it is a very luminous globular cluster. If you don't remember us chatting about globular clusters once before, they are one of, they're some of the oldest stars that exist within our universe. Globular clusters consist of a lot of stars, way more than open star clusters, uh, hundreds of thousands of stars, and they're very, very old. So a lot of them are redder and a lot of them are dimmer. So being able to catch that with a telescope or if you're using any type of astrophotography, it's really beautiful to catch um, as opposed to, say, the Pleiades, which is an open star cluster. Those are very young stars. They're blue. They're very young and they're, and they're very hot stars and they're very luminous as opposed to the really old, cooler stars in the globular cluster in Scorpius known as M80, where they're redder, cooler, older. That was discovered January 4th, 1781. And our last event for space history was with Galileo. On January 7th in 1610, Galileo Galilei made the first observation of Jupiter's moons with a telescope. This is why some of Jupiter's moons are called the Galilean moons. And that is because there were four that he had first observed and cataloged. And if it wasn't for the telescope, uh, it probably would have taken quite a lot longer. I think someone eventually would have been able to observe it. Um, but what was interesting was even though he showed this to, to the Vatican Church, they still did not believe their eyes, their very own eyes. They were like, how is it possible that there are other celestial bodies orbiting a totally different planet? And how are we not the center of our very own solar system. So a really interesting thing there, a little bit of space history. Uh, that was Galileo Galilei on January 7th in 1610. So that's about everything that I included in this week's transmission of space events. Um, I hope that you got you get to go out and observe some of these uh, objects, whether it's a planet, whether it's a globular cluster, or whether it's just generating your own star charts, your own sky chart, and being able to just sort of explore the night sky. Before I go, I'm going to mention a little bit about the um, infographic that I made to, and I sent out to all of my transmission members. Again, if you want one of those infographics, um, you can just, if you haven't received it already, you can sign up at astroathens.com. Um, on there, I have a few different ways where you can enter your email address uh, on the homepage. If you scroll down to the bottom, 
there is an area where you can put in your email and um, I will send you the infographic. Now, I did already do an episode here on Colin of what to look forward to for 2022. And the majority of them were rocket launches and then a few were um, some astronomy events. There are a couple other things I'd like to mention um, that I didn't get to mention then that I have together now. On May 15th and November 8th is when we have two total lunar eclipses. The path of totality is along the equator and parts of North America. And so you'll be able to catch it kind of depending on where you're located. There are parts of of North America. Just go ahead and look up the path of totality for each of those. Uh, The first one reaches uh, totality on May 15th and the second one on November 8th. So I get to, I hope you get to catch those lunar eclipses. If you haven't seen a lunar eclipse before, it's really cool. Uh, there's a few things to it. I've seen partial lunar eclipses. The reason I sort of said it's really cool, kind of with a question mark, because if it's a partial lunar eclipse, it's really difficult to actually catch. You you have to really be staring at it or doing a time lapse to notice uh, the dimming of, um, of the moon's uh, reflected light from the sun. It, it, it can look like really bright and then all of a sudden it can start to look just like a hint dimmer and a hint dimmer. But if you're catching a total lunar eclipse and it starts to sort of have that orangish color, this is when it can look really, really cool. Um, so I hope that you get to catch those because um, that's when it can get really, uh, I would say, astonishing. And if you have a telescope, I haven't seen a total lunar eclipse before through a telescope, only with my own eyes. And I bet it would just look incredible. So I'm definitely going to be looking for those this year. Um, I'm definitely going to be bringing my telescope for that. We also have another meteor shower. There's a, there's quite a lot of meteor showers going on throughout the year, but the most prominent ones were uh, the one on January 2nd and the one on May 6th, which is known as the Eta Aquarids meteor shower. And this is in the Aquarius constellation. That's where the name Eta Aquarids comes from. And the reason it's called that is because the radiant of the meteor shower, which is where the majority of the meteors are most concentrated, is in the middle, smack in the middle of the Aquarius constellation. So if you want to catch that, um, if you wanted to start to see this meteor shower, it will be during the waxing crescent moon. However, once the moon starts to set below the horizon, this is when the meteor shower will start to become very visible and under excellent conditions. Look for the peak around 3 a.m. local time, so depending kind of on where you're located in the um, the northern hemisphere, and of course, again, in the constellation Aquarius. So that should be really cool. It's going to be facing your east-southeast horizon. You may also be able to catch it with the planet Mars uh, just below that, so at least now you'll have quite a few um, objects to look at while you're looking at the night sky. And then finally, we have Mars reaching opposition at the end of the year. So I know we like don't even want to think about December right now because we just came out of December. And um, I don't know about you guys, but I don't really do too well in the cold. So thinking about December, uh, you know, just kind of makes me think about the cold again. But December 7th and 8th, Mars reaches opposition. This is a great time to view the red planet. Mars reaching opposition means it's lined up directly with Earth and its orbit and ours. So 
Earth's orbit and Mars orbit. It lines up where the, the two, the two uh, planets are in line. And so then we can see it all month long. And it's visible high in the sky. It's going to cross from the east horizon to the west horizon through the constellation Taurus, starting from November 1st all the way to December 31st is when you'll be able to really see the, for the red planet. So November 1st, December 31st, but the best time when it reaches opposition, December 7th and 8th. It's also really, really bright. It's at a magnitude of negative 1.9. So it will outshine all the other planets except for Jupiter. I don't remember the last time I saw Mars um, this luminous. I haven't really like looked for it the past year um, intentionally or I guess, yeah, I've, I've, I've looked up and I've noticed it, but I haven't noticed it when it's been this bright. So if you want to put that into perspective, we were talking about that globular cluster that was visible. Um, let's pull that up really quick. The globular cluster that is visible this week was at a magnitude of positive 4.5. That's pretty div. You remember I was talking about the apparent magnitude scale. The higher the number in the positive end, the dimmer it is. The lower the number in the negative end, the brighter it is. I know it sounds counter, counter, counterintuitive, but that is how it works and that is how you'll be able to see it. So this is going to be a negative 1.9. So it's going to be a really, really bright planet to catch. So that's everything that I included in uh, my infographic, in addition to the things we already went over in our original um, episode here on Space Talk about what to look forward to in 2022, including the Aurora Borealis in March, and of course, the Quadratons meteor shower. So if you want to, again, uh, receive that in your inbox, you can just sign up at ashmethod.com, or you can just send me a message here on Colin. Uh, just send me a DM and I can just go ahead and add your email in and then just send you the infographic. Um, I did also put it on my Instagram story um, somewhere, so it, it might be already gone by now. But um, again, just let me know. I could always just, you know, send it over to you through a DM. Um, but that is that's about everything. So, um, again, I hope that you get to go out and hopefully catch some of the winter constellations Um I think what we're going to do for our next episode will actually be to go over what some of the winter constellations are that are visible because there are so many beautiful constellations uh, that are some of my favorite because they, the reason they're my favorite is because they include really bright stars. Uh, there's a lot of constellations that um, have stars that are relatively dimmer. And so just growing up in New York, I wasn't really able to see a lot of these bright stars or a lot of the dimmer stars in the dimmer constellations. And so the most I grew up really seeing were bright stars like Rigel and Betelgeuse uh, and Deneb and Altair and Aldebaran and Capella. And these are all really, really luminous stars. So uh, once again, if you want to explore sort of what's in the night sky, then what I just want to ask you to do is uh, if you're going to be catching the next episode, which I'll be posting soon, uh, the, the announcement for that. I'd love for you to just leave a comment on this episode saying um, 
you know, where you're viewing from. You don't have to give me like, you know, I, I don't, well, obviously don't want the whole address or anything. Just your, your like city or your country or your state. Um, I would say like your city, your city, state or country. This way I can uh, pre-generate my sky charts and then I can go over it in the next episode, which would be really fun. I also, of course, will do uh, some of the major cities, New York. Um, I'll do also where I'm based in Texas, and then I'll do a few other locations as well. So this way we can, um, explore the night sky together. Otherwise, if you do want to do it yourself, I mentioned it earlier, I love Sky and Telescope's website. Uh, you can just go there. They also do have a sky chart generator, which is one of my favorite things to use. And um, yeah, and then we can explore that. But uh, without further ado, uh, I just want to thank you all so much for joining me on this episode of Space Talk. I'm so excited for what's to come next. And uh, keep a lookout for future episodes. And of course, until next time, ad Astra. Astra.